Greetings, Word Horde. We're here with an exciting option for you, a version of our podcast without any ads. That's right. No advertising interruptions, just the content you love, ready to go in your favorite podcast apps like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's another way to support the show, ensuring that we keep bringing you the word stories and language explorations that you love. Try it at waywardradio.org slash adfree. And it's affordable. For just a small subscription fee, you can enjoy Away With Words uninterrupted, except by us. Plus, it makes a great gift. Know somebody who loves language as much as you do? Give them the gift of words. Easy to sign up, easy to enjoy. It's the same Away With Words, just streamlined for your listening pleasure. Go to waywardradio.org slash adfree. Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad-free listening experience. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. You know, Martha, I was flipping through some old issues of dialect notes. It was started more than 100 years ago. It's long since ceased publication. But while it lasted, it collected word lists and glossaries and uh, language from around the country. Oh, uh, yeah. People would report from all quarters and all corners of the things that people said and the words they used. In there are collections of college slang and high school slang. And what's really interesting about this stuff is how much of it lasts. But even more interesting is how much of it doesn't last. A lot of this language simply doesn't endure. And if I gave you some of these words, you wouldn't know what I was talking about. Oh, yeah? Try me. <laughs> All right. If I called somebody a dub, what am I saying about them? D-U-B, dub. A dub? It doesn't sound very positive, whatever it is. A screw-up? Somebody Yeah, a foolish person. Oh, yeah, okay. that's pretty good. Yeah, it, it does sound like it should be I mean, uh, somebody who doesn't have their act together, right? Yeah. That word was collected in New Mexico and California, uh, again, about 100 years ago. Here's another one. If I said that somebody was dibby, uh, what would I be saying about them? Or if I said that the weather was dibby, what would I be saying about them? D-I-B-B-Y. Dibby. I, ha- I have no idea. When I think of dibby, I think of a, a little baby or something with little fat rolls. And... <laughs> it simply means fine. And I've kind of chosen oh, really? these two words because one's negative and one's positive. And this is one of the places where slang is most productive, coming up with words to indicate that something's bad or indicate that something's good. Huh. But you and I don't know dibby, and we might have used it if we were Brooklyn schoolgirls 100 years ago, which is that's where it was collected. But it, it's gone. And like a lot of the slang, it just went poof. And, and, and disappeared. Some of this stuff stays, though. I mean, a hundred years ago, you could still call a woman a babe and say, oh, boy, isn't she a babe, meaning that she's very attractive. A hundred years ago. A hundred years ago. Who knew it was that old, right? Anyway, I, I had a good time reading this stuff, and I thought you would appreciate it. I love it. It was Dibby. Did I use that correctly? <laughs> very Dibby. Yes. You're no dub. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, if you'd like to talk about slang or grammar or pronunciation or old sayings or new coinages, regional dialects, you name it, give us a call. The number's 1-877-929-9673. Or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi. This is Victoria DeLeon from McAllen, Texas. All McAllen. right. McAllen. Oh, hello. What's going on in Texas? I have a question for you, something that's bugged me for most of my adult life. Um, Let me give you a little bit of history on this. Uh, Back when I was about 12 or 13, I think I picked up one of my grandmother's Reader's Digest or something, Mm -hmm. and there was an article in there that talked about words that are, um, let me see, they're relabeled after a new form of that product is invented. Let me give you an example. Um, Television, when it was first uh, invented, was simply television or TV. Everybody had a TV. Um, But when color TV was invented, they had to go back and relabel the first one, black and white TV. So black and white didn't exist until color TV existed. Uh, It's the same thing with an acoustic guitar. An acoustic guitar didn't exist until an electric guitar was invented. Mm -hmm. Before then, it was simply a guitar. Mm -hmm. Now they're air guitars. Exactly. So Um, you're calling about this phenomenon then? uh, Yes, sir. And actually, they they had about 30 to 40 more of these words, and there was a term, like a collective term for all of those words. The word that you're looking for is a retronym. A retronym? Yep, mm-hmm. R-E-T-R-O-N-Y-M, retronym. 
and it's been used to describe this phenomenon since at least 1980. As a matter of fact, one of the first people we know to use this word, and perhaps the first, was a former president of National Public Radio, Frank Mankiewicz. Yeah. Okay. Um, and he was quoted by William Sapphire in one of his on-language columns in the New York Times magazine in, in 1980 talking about this phenomenon. And you've mentioned some of the classic retronyms. Uh, okay. The acoustic guitar one is one that's almost always brought up when this is discussed in, in the, the language books. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, another one of my favorites lately is bar soap. Bar soap. Yes. As, as opposed to liquid soap, huh? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, all of a sudden everybody's huh. using liquid soap. Um, what else do we have here? Silent movies uh, were all movies were silent in the beginning, and they didn't become come to be called silent movies until the talkies came around, right? Okay. Well, how about okay. this one, you two? How about World War One? Oh, great one. Yeah, so the list goes on and on. They're great fun to collect. They they are, and I haven't exactly started a, a pencil and paper list, if you will, uh, I just kind of keep them in my head. Uh-huh, uh-huh. If you Google the term retronym, you'll come up with some lists that other people have made, but I have no doubt at all that they're incomplete and you could probably add plenty to them. Okay, well, thank you. Sure thing. It's all interesting right, that for... you say paper and pencil list. I mean, what other kind of, <laughs> you know? Instead of a wiki list or a palm pilot <laughs> list. To tell you the truth, I now make all my lists on my uh, palm pilot. Uh, on, on your palm or your palm pilot? Yes, my palm pilot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't know if all you were right. writing on your skin or what. No, no. <laughs> Victoria, thank you so much for your call. I'm glad we were able to help you. Well, thank you very much. All right, okay. best of luck. Bye-bye. 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 Well, if you have a favorite retronym, give us a call. The number is one 929 or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Brian Pollock from Cincinnati, Ohio. Yay, Hiya, Brian. Hi. Hi. What's going uh, on in Cincinnati. Well, I have a question um, about a word I've heard at work uh, a couple times, and the word is voluntold. Voluntold. How are you spelling that? Uh, V-O-L-U-N-T-O-L-D. Okay. And uh, it's used kind of exactly the same way as the word volunteered, um, but it would be used, for instance, if you just say... uh, um, if someone was at a, um, a fundraiser event and you'd say, oh, I didn't know you were going to be here. And you'd say, oh, my boss volunteered me. <laughs> nice. Right, right. Nice. So Where do ca- you work that you hear that? Uh, I work at a camp. It's a nonprofit camp. Um, and so there's a lot of things where we are volunteered to do fundraisers and things like that. Uh, but my suspicion is actually that it's probably a military word. I was wondering if oh, I was yes. on the right track. Mm. Yes, definitely. When I think of this expression, I think of uh, the commanding officer in front of his troops going, I need three volunteers to clean up the nuclear waste. You, you, and you. And the thing is, there's no <laughs> hand raising there. He's just picking three people, right. and that's that. Right? That's what we're talking about? Right. Because yeah. <laughs> when you work in a, when you do volunteer work for a not-for-profit, you still have a boss. There is still somebody telling you what to do, and there's a certain kind of patina of politeness there that maybe you wouldn't encounter in a you know a normal workplace. But somebody's telling you what to do, so you are actually being voluntold. That's hilarious. Yeah. So is that military? Originally? Yeah, yeah. As far as I know, it uh-huh. is. It's very common in the Marines. The earliest use that I know of is from 1996, which is way too recent. I'm betting it's from the, at least the 60s, but there's no way to prove that. I haven't seen it in print any earlier than that, though. All right. Well, Marines make sense. There are a couple of uh, Marines that work at the camp that I work at, and uh, those are the guys I heard first using the term. Uh-huh. <laughs> there we go. Uh-huh. Well, nice. That came together, didn't it? Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot. Okay. Well, thanks for your call, Brian. Best of what kind of camp is this? Is this for kids or summer camp? Yeah. Is this? It's an outdoor education camp uh, and a summer camp. It's actually a YMCA summer camp uh, and outdoor education. You teach the city kids not to be afraid of bears? Uh, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for your call, Brian. Have a great summer. Yep. You too. Thanks a lot. Right, okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Voluntold. Voluntold. You I know, love that. There's no, there's no end to the the sack of slang that the soldiers bring to the language. None at all. <laughs> sack of they keep, slang. I and love they keep that. churning it out. Yeah. You know? If you've got a question about grammar, usage, punctuation, spelling, send it on. We'd like to hear it. One eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send us an email. Words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Yes. Hello. This is Kathleen Weinberg's. Hi, Kathleen. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from San Diego. Well, hello. What's on your mind today, Kathleen? What I want to know is the origin of the expression, 
You're the apple of my eye. Mm. Well, I can tell you, Kathleen, this phrase is really old. I mean, it is one of the oldest expressions that I've come across in English. It goes all the way back to at least the ninth century. Oh, my goodness. And the answer is pretty simple. Centuries ago, people assumed that the pupil of your eye was actually this little hard, round object, kind of like an apple. They didn't notice that it changed size? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess, you know, growing, I didn't think about that. (laughs) But there's been, Kathleen, in many languages, including English, um, a long tradition of connecting one's eye with something that is really cherished, something that's really treasured. And so metaphorically, that part of your eye, the pupil, is something that you treasure, and that got applied to other things that you cherish, like a person. Oh, that's very sweet. That's very nice. Isn't that lovely? Yes, it is. Wow. Well, you're the new apple of our eye, right, Grant? Thank you very much. Thank you so much for your show. You're welcome. Thank you for calling, All right. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Grant, there's so much to say about all this. I... I... (laughs) Well, Spill, we got time. Well, you know, speaking about the pupil of your eye, Mm -hmm. the pupil is so named because of the Latin word pupilla, which meant little doll or puppet. Because, you know, when you look up close at somebody's eyes, you can see this little image of yourself. Isn't that fabulous? (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. And in fact, the Hebrew term that that the King James is translating, Mm -hmm. it translates literally as little man, the little little man. man in your eye. One other thing to say about this, Grant, that you'll appreciate, you know, the French word for pupil, the pupil of the eye. I don't actually know that word. It's prunelle, little oh, pru- plum. Little plum, little there plum. we go. Isn't that great? Mm-hmm. That's <sighs> very nice. Oh, and Kathleen is a kindred spirit. Love it, mm-hmm. love it, love it. The world apparently is filled with them. They keep calling. I know. <laughs> and you can, too. Call one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three or email us. What's that address, Grant? The email address is words at waywardradio.org, and you can drop by our discussion forum at waywardradio.org and tell the whole world what's on your mind. Hey, Grant, you remember the conversation we had a while back about playful nicknames for one's hometown, like San Diego is sometimes called San Diego, with good reason, of course. Yes, indeed. I do remember that. Somebody reminded me that uh, St. Louis is called the Gateway City or St. Louis. Oh, yeah. Gateway to the West. Well, we asked you for your hometown nicknames, and we got some great ones from a woman in Canada named Giselle Da Silva. She lives in Vancouver, and she sent us a number of nicknames for Vancouver, one of which I loved was Vansterdam. She says, by far the best known and most widely used, thanks to Vancouver's well-earned reputation for the availability and quality of a certain recreational substance. Grant, what, what could she possibly be talking uh, about? Van high-top <laughs> shoes. Van's high-top shoes, right? I don't think so. No. I don't think so. She had several others, including Hollywood North. Uh, she points out that on film, Vancouver has doubled for almost every major city in North America, including Vancouver. It's one of their biggest industries there. And following up on that, she says that bearing in mind that the word brawly means umbrella, her own favorite nickname for Vancouver is Brawlywood. I love that. Well, if you have something you'd like to share with us, call us anytime, eh? The number's 1-877-929-9673. Or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Up next on Away With Words, it's a word puzzle, and we'll take more of your calls. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett, and we're joined once again by that wacky, that crazy, that nutty quiz guy, John Chinesky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey. <laughs> What's up? What's up, buddy? How are the hey. kids? Good. The kids are just great. You have the loveliest children I think I've ever seen except for oh. my own. Oh, thank Yes. I'd say the three of them together <laughs> comprise the most beautiful children in the world. Uh, when, I, when you're in public, do you do like I do? You just like face them in certain directions so they can cast their glow over the world and make it good? <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, right, any, whatever they're facing like blossoms, right? It is my duty to, <laughs> to show my children to the world and let them, let them spread happiness. I assume you've come here to spread happiness. Yes, I've come to spread happiness by way of puzzles and quizzes, my speciality. And here we go. 
as you guys know, I'm a big fan of comics. While I read and recommend the mature artistic version of the medium, the, you know, the work of Chris Ware, Art Spiegelman, Alison Bechdel, I still enjoy the fanboy stuff. That is the men in tights, good guys versus bad guys, save the world stuff. Anyway, which is why, while reading my dictionary, as any good word boy should do daily, I discovered a whole treasure trove of heretofore unknown superheroes. Uh-oh. Yeah. Wow. For example, I discovered a hero who can instantly keep any ship or other seagoing vessel from moving. Do you know his name? Anchorman? Anchorman, that's right. Oh, I get it, Anchorman. <laughs> Anchorman. Oh, do you, no. Do you know what his alter, alter ego does? Um, uh, host the news? He reads the news on TV, that's yeah, right. Yeah, right. So now we have a superhero and his name and his... Oh, okay. oh, I right. like okay. these alter egos. I'll give you the powers. You tell me their superhero right. names. Uh, if you need it, I'll tell you what the alter ego does as, a, as an additional clue. We'll see. Yeah, we tend to need those, so keep those ready. Well, say I'll keep them in my back pocket. Here we go, flying in with superheroes. This hero can, with mind-numbing speed, put together furniture from Ikea, all without losing a single nut or bolt. Uh-huh. And does he also uh, serve oh. as a politician in the state? His, his uh, alter ego is a also... At the state level, he's an assemblyman. <laughs> assemblyman. <laughs> assemblyman can assemble furniture from Ikea, which moving to a new house, I could certainly use assemblyman's help. I, I wish I had the signal watch for assemblyman. Beep, 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 beep. Assemblyman to the rescue. <laughs> now, this hero can perform any dance to perfection, but he specializes in the bump, the hustle, and other dances from the disco era. Oh, no. It's not the Walkman. No, it? not Walkman. No. Did I just uh, ruin one of your answers? No, no, not at all. No. Now, uh, this hero's alter ego, sorry to say, likes to hide in closets and scare children. Oh, Boogeyman. Okay. Here's the next one. Thanks. Now, this one's a little tricky. He has the unusual ability of being able to eliminate the barriers between any two yards. Privets, pickets, chain link, none of these can stand in his way. Well, we're talking about fences, right? Right. Okay. His alter ego plays near the goalie on the Manchester United football team. Defense man? Defense man! <laughs> no, really? Yes! I went there. Oh. I did. Privets? This was just the And I followed of the you. British. <laughs> it was still. And you followed me there. That's right. All right. I did. Okay. Here's the next one. Yes. This hero can take any food item that has passed its expiration date, send it back through time, and make it edible again. Uh, his alter ego is in his first year at NYU. Fresh man. Fresh man. <laughs> oh, my God. Yum. <laughs> this one is also kind of tricky. This hero is useful if you're missing one of your shoes. He can miraculously find the other one no matter where it may be. Scout boy? Is it something boy? We need a boy here. Yeah, where's the Actually, sidekicks here? If, if you're missing any any one of two things, he can uh-huh. find the other one. Because Pearman. he's a footman? You're close. Pa- footman? Couple is that man? footman? No. Uh, it was a pair, and now it needs to be a pair again. Repairman. He's no. repairman. <laughs> His alter ego fixes Maytag washing machines. <laughs> so he has a lot of time to, right. to, to, superhero to be a superhero. Those Maytag washing yeah. machines don't take a lot of repairing. <laughs> Okay, and on that note, up, up and away. <laughs> Goodbye, Grant. Goodbye, Martha. Goodbye, Martha. <laughs> Goodbye that John. That is my superhero quiz for today. Thank you, Super John. <laughs> Thank you, Quizman. Who was that Isn't mess quiz creepy? guy? <laughs> Any comic books that are created as a result of this quiz, I, I retain the rights. <laughs> FYI. All right. Thank you so much, John. Thank you, Grant. Thank if you, Martha. If you would like to get on the air with a question about grammar, punctuation, slang, jargon, or what have you, we're the people to call one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Here we come to save the day. Hello, you have a way with words. Uh, hello. Hi, who is this? Hi, this is Schumit uh, calling from Oakland, California. What's on your mind today, Schumit? Uh, well, I got a question. I had a friend of mine in college who had all these uh, rather crass colloquialisms that he picked up from his father. They're wonderful. A lot of them I can't really say on the radio. Um, 
But, you know, I picked up on them, and I used to go around saying them for years, and one in particular um, was uh, is a way of describing, I guess, an unattractive woman, and he would say, she's got a face that could gag a maggot off a gut wagon. Gag a maggot <laughs> off a gut wagon? Ew. Yeah. You could pair it, I guess, both ways and make gender equity, but for some reason I can only think of guys saying this. <laughs> uh, so the question I had, actually, was for years, you know, I, I was this phrase has been going through my head, and I always just figured the gut wagon was uh, just for effect, you know. Mm-hmm. Everything seems to be rooted somewhere. So I thought, is there an actual gut wagon, and why? Uh-huh. Is there a story behind the expression gut wagon? Yes, there is. And probably those of you who are eating breakfast right now might want to <laughs> either turn down the radio or just reach for the crunchiest thing on your plate and crunch for a little bit while we explain, because it is pretty gross. Are you ready, Schumit? Uh, Yeah, I think so. Okay. (laughs) Yes, a gut wagon is an actual thing. It's a wagon or truck that hauls the carcasses of dead farm stock. Okay. So a gut wagon is a pretty gross thing, and if you're a maggot on a gut wagon, then you have a pretty strong stomach. So if somebody's got a face that could gag a maggot, not not just any maggot, but a maggot on a gut wagon, that's quite a face. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, think, thanks for that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for well, that, I sh- think. Schumann, one thing, <laughs> Schumann, one thing about the gut wagon, it's actually not that common a vehicle. You're not going to find these on every block in town. It's, Thank goodness. It's, uh, these days, with farm culture basically being managed by the big corporations, it's just the kind of thing that's almost passed completely into colloquialism, and you'll find it used as a comparison device in a lot of colorful expressions. So. Um, there are a couple that I know. Are you ready for these? None of them are as gross as what we've been talking about. But um, you can say that somebody stinks so bad that they would stink a dog off a gut wagon in a dead faint. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. <laughs> or um, uh, the uh, inverse to what your friend said, you could say a woman is so fine that the men were after her like buzzards after a gut wagon. So you'll find it in literature and in newspapers over the last, what, 100-plus years, Martha? Quite a while. At uh, least peop- back to the 1920s, yeah. Yeah, people using it as a, as a kind of device because it's something so extreme. It's so filthy and disgusting that it's kind of like a marking point of things being better than that or things being worse than that and it actually causing a, a very positive or very negative reaction in people. Um, my one of my favorite one though, Schumann. I will leave. I, I've got a bunch of these, but this is the last one I'll tell you about. <laughs> Are you so. enjoying this, Schumann? <laughs> uh, not really. <laughs> uh, it's informative. Oh yeah, well yeah. That you pretty much everyone says that about our show. Um, <laughs> one last one. He says, um, I, "I knew him when he was nobody and had nothing. He couldn't flag down a gut wagon," which kind of saying, you know, he he couldn't get the attention of anyone. So, oh, uh. I like that one. Excellent. Thank you for that. Uh, love your show. <laughs> Thank you so much for calling, Schumann. <laughs> Still? Glad to take the call. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. If you'd like us to explain some stuff to you that's not quite so gross, or maybe we'll do the gross stuff. Why not, right? Why not? Give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. That's one eight seven seven way word Hello. You have a way with words. Hi. This is Celeste calling from Washington, D.C., well, hello, Celeste. What do you do in D.C.? I am a legal assistant. So are you calling for grammatical assistance? I am calling because I'm curious to know the origins of the phrase, go fly a kite. Uh-huh. Go fly a kite meaning buzz off? Yes. Now, what got you curious about that? Well, someone had mentioned it to me a while ago, and I was really confused as to what they meant. <laughs> um, I was bothering them, and obviously I stopped bothering them because I... I just didn't know what they were trying to tell me to do. Okay. So you were a little kid and you were told to go fly a kite or? Yes, I was. (laughs) So you thought they were literally telling you to go fly a kite? I did. I did. Oh, bless your heart. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's an expression that's been around for what, Grant, since since at least the The 1920s, as far as I know. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Really? and so it's part and parcel of, of that whole family of, of expressions like that. Go jump in a lake, go fry an egg, go cook a radish. All of those expressions were common during that period of time. And um, it's certainly a lot more polite than what you might say. Go 
fry an egg or go <laughs> fly a kite. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think it's just one of many phrases like that. I mean, you see it in other languages, too. In Spanish, um, you'll be told to go fry an asparagus or go fry potatoes. Well, so the kite, though, Martha, you, you've heard the theories about why people say fly a kite, go fly a kite, right? People are directly going back to this myth that Ben Franklin discovered lightning or that he discovered electricity, and he didn't do either. But people do know the story of Ben Franklin flying his kite in the lightning storms, right? Uh, right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. the idea is that if you go fly a kite, they're hoping that you'll get struck by lightning. So it's a way of, oh, saying, no. go, it's a way of saying go injure yourself. Sort of like go jump in a lake. Yeah. Go or, play yeah, in go, traffic. Go play in traffic, exactly. Ah. So there's no way to prove that, but it makes the most sense. And the reason it makes the most sense is because the first use that I know of is from a comic strip where the guy in the comic strip is flying a kite um, in a lightning storm. There's a bolt of lightning in the air about to strike his kite, but he's not looking where he's going. So he's not only going to get struck by lightning, but he's going to run headfirst into the rear end of a donkey. (laughs) (laughs) So so he's going to get it either way. Well, Celeste, aren't you glad you didn't go do that? I am very glad. <laughs> I'm a little concerned that that's what she was telling me to do. Oh, uh, well, you know what? Maybe, you know, yeah, maybe you need a lawyer of your own. That sounds like a, <laughs> an appointment okay, dispute to me. Okay, thank you so much. All right. You're welcome, Celeste. Bye-bye. 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 So do you have a copy of that comic strip that we could post I to the website? I will post it online. Yes. Absolutely. I would love to see it. Super duper. If you've got a question about grammar, punctuation, spelling, or the best way to put something into print, give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. And you can always send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. We read everything. Hi, you have a way with words. Hello, this is Philip Butson from San Diego, California. Hiya, Philip. Hello, Philip. What's going on? Well, here's my question. And a couple of months ago, I was picking up my high school grandson with a bunch of his buddies from school. And so they were hungry, and I took them out to, to get something to eat. And there I discovered a peculiar way of them talking that, uh, that's my question to you today. They would always refer to themselves in their last name. For instance, it would be like, Hey, Sullivan, pass me the ketchup. Or Garcia, do you want your french fries? Or Hunter, if you're going to the game tomorrow, can I get a ride with you? Mm-hmm. Always using the last name. So I, I was kind of curious about it, because when I was growing up, uh, too many decades ago, but when I was growing up, we had nicknames for each other, but we didn't use our last names in talking to each other. And uh, But they didn't seem to think it was unusual that it was done all the time in a group. Now, my grandson has a twin sister, my, my granddaughter, and so I asked her, I said, if, if there's a group of girls, do you ever refer to each other with your last name, like, you know talk the way you refer to and she said never they would either call themselves by their first name or sometimes by a nickname so i guess my question to you is is this typical just to san diego the adolescents here is it typical throughout the united states is this um, strictly for adolescents or is this um, common in other areas where they would use just the last name well these are great questions uh, yeah. you, you mentioned that uh, you, as far as you know quizzing other people in your own experience that women don't do this and I, I do remember. Do you do you ever see the George Bernard Shaw play the philanderer? I've read some of his stuff, like Man and Superman, but not that one. Because in there, he, he's there's a club of women um, who practice all the vices of men. They smoke, drink, they live alone, and they call each other by their last names. And you can uh, read about this sort of phenomenon among young women well into the twenties, when uh, there were different kind of movements afoot to bring equality to the way women were treated in the public sphere. Huh. But in any case, that's a side story there. But the main, th- you're, the main answer to your question is yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, it's common across the United States. It's common to young men. It's common to older men. They do it in Germany. They do it in the United Kingdom. They do it throughout the Anglophone world. They do it in Korea, as far as I know. They do it in Russia, too. Men, what about the women? Do the women ever uh, Women that? almost never do. Yeah, I in never Ang- did. In the Anglophone world, if they do, it's a kind of very conscious decision to um, emulate the men that are around them. Professionals called each other by their last names. And, and from what I understand, the reason that young men do it, we're talking grade school, um, junior high, high school, college even, is, is a kind of 
First, it establishes a familiarity. It bonds mm-hmm. the group together, and this is so important when you're that age. And second, it emulates what the older men do. So it's a, it's kind of like uh, they're trying to seem more masculine by taking on this kind of language. It's not something they consciously know that they're doing in order to try to seem more masculine, but that's the overall effect of it. The first time I heard it was I actually never had encountered it. I was probably eight or nine when I read my first Hardy Boys book, you know, and and Frank and Joe Hardy, they called all of their friends by their last name. Uh, I never, I didn't see it until high school, and then my friends did it, and it seemed natural. Hmm, and then the Little House on the Prairie Girls didn't, I assume. <laughs> the Little House on the Prairie Girls did not. Philip, here's the here's the thing about all this: we delight in calling people things other than their names. Um, if you want more information on this, because we could talk about this to yeah, the end of time. Yeah, I do. There's a great book called The Dictionary of Epithets and Terms of Address by Leslie Dunkling. That's L-E-S-L-I-E. Take a look at that. The introductory matter alone is worth the time that you might spend on it. You could probably find it um, at a decent price used. Well, thank you so much. Hey, You're Phil. Welcome. It was thank a pleasure. Call, Philip. Bye. Bye-bye. If you've got a question about language, that is usage, grammar, or slang, or what have you, give us a call, one 929 9673 A while back, we had a call from a guy named Steve who was looking for a better term than retirement. Remember that one, Grant? I do. Steve and his wife were both leaving their jobs after many years, but they wanted to keep their options open, maybe do some more work or get involved in something on the side. So they wanted a word for retirement that suggested something a little more dynamic than just sitting around the house. And holy cow, our mailbox has been overflowing with suggestions from listeners. Stephen from San Diego proposed pre-tirement, which I kind of like. And Richard from Indianapolis called to suggest the initialism FTC, meaning free to choose, which I kind of like too. Hey, my wife and I are FTC. A lot of people called and wrote to say that we should just use those great words freelancer or consultant because... Mm. If you're doing a lot of things all at once, either one of those words could apply, right? Yeah, that always works. Consultant. And other listeners wanted to replace the term retiring with other words that have an initial R-E, like redirecting, regrouping, recasting, restaging. I don't remember what else. But finally, several of you reminded us that in Spanish, the term for retirement is jubilación, which is a relative of the English word jubilation. And both English jubilation and Spanish jubilación go back to a Latin term that means to shout for joy. So maybe we should start calling retirees jubilance. I sure know a lot who feel that way. Jubilant. That's great. Instead of a retiree, yeah. jubilant. <laughs> well, if you've spotted a phenomenon that's still in need of a name, we're the ones to help you name it. Give us a call, one 929 Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Get ready for our slang quiz. It's up next on Away With Words. Stay tuned. Support for Away With Words comes from WordSmart, the vocabulary-building software. Improving your vocabulary, reading comprehension, and critical thinking skills will increase your chances for success. Learn more online at wordsmart.tv. And from iUniverse, supported self-publishing. Is there a book in you? Find out how to publish it at 1-800-AUTHORS or learn more online at iUniverse.com. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And it's time for Slang This, the puzzle where you guess the meaning of strange slang terms. Today's contestant is Catherine Bryant of Boston, Massachusetts. Catherine, come on down. Hi there. <laughs> hi, Catherine. Say hi to Grant. Hi, Grant. Hello, Catherine. What's going on there in Boston? Well, it's a nice spring day here. We've had some nice weather, which is a nice change after the winter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. And what do you do there in Boston? I am an editor. I edit elementary and these days middle school science textbooks. You're corrupting young. I mean, you're improving young minds. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, okay. Putting With evolution and everything. Whoa! The E word. That's right. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, besides evolution, do you have a favorite slang term? Well, there's a term that some friends of mine who hang out at MIT use, and I've never heard it from anyone else. Okay. But it's a very creative use of the word. Pants, specifically having pants or finding your pants. 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 And it sort of means having your act together or trying to get your act together. Oh. So you might say, you know, oh, I wish she'd find her pants already. We're already late. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, I, I 
been making progress on my project. I'm, I think I finally have my pants. <laughs> I like that. That's great. But that's just from a small group of people, or do you think it's more widespread? I think it's only this group of people at MIT. I think it's one of those college slang things that particularly picked up there. I'm not sure, but I don't think I've heard it anywhere else. Boy, I well, really like it. Have you heard it? I think it, it's a clever use. Maybe maybe some people will hear the show and it'll spread. Yeah, maybe so. Well, Catherine, um, let's try to find our pants and move on to the game. All right. Okay. Grant will give you a slang term, and then he'll give you three sentences that suggest what that term could mean. Okay. Only one example will be real, and the other two are fake. So your task is going to be to guess which of those sentences illustrates how this slang term is really used. And chances are you won't have heard the term before, so the trick will be to puzzle out its meaning, and I'll be standing by to help okay. if you get stuck, all right? Sounds good. Okay. Here we go. We've got two terms for you today, and the first term to guess the meaning of is boil over. I'm treating this as one word, B-O-I-L-O-V-E-R. And here's the okay. first one. His body was covered in boil overs, fingernail-like lesions that shed like snowflakes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's what I wanted. That's the response I was looking for. <laughs> Here's the next one. More than 30 years later, Grandpa could still recount the play-by-play of the boilover in 1970 when Great Britain unexpectedly won the ashes in Australia. And then the third sentence. He was a pretty sorry bank robber. One boilover after the other, time after time, he waved his demand note. Then the place suddenly exploded with police, and off to jail he went. So we have three separate choices here. Um, is a boil over an icky hard growth on the skin? <laughs> is it a unexpected win in sports, or is it a bank robbery gone wrong? And I should say that in the second clue there, where I talked about the ashes, that is the trophy for rugby. Well, I sure hope it's not the first one because you. I'm with you on that, Catherine. Would it help if I told you that this term is from the Antipodes? So it's from Australia, that general neck of the woods. Hmm. That doesn't know. They me. certainly have some creative terms down there. I could see it being a sports term, actually. That, like a big upset, would be a boil over. Uh huh. I could see that. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. I, I think I like that better. So it is. It's an unexpected win in sports. It originally was used in horse racing, and then later was spread to pretty much any sport hmm. and even hmm. elections, which are kind of a sport-like event themselves, right? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> All right. So nice work there, Catherine. We got another one for you. Right. you ready? Okay. This one takes a little bit of spelling. It's nicthemeron, N-Y-C-H-T-H-E-M-E-R-O-N. That's nicthemeron. And there are three sample sentences. The first one, once a week in Greece, recycling trucks rumble through the streets pulling a nicthemeron for collecting grass cuttings and compost. And the second one, sometimes ants from competing colonies don't fight at all upon encountering each other. Instead, they enter a state of nicthemeron in which each acts as if the other is not there. And the third one. One of the great tricks of good playwriting is to treat an entire year as a nicthemeron, 365 days condensed as if they were just 24 hours. So, Catherine, is a nicthemeron a recycling container for green waste? Is it a kind of avoidance posture that insects sometimes take instead of protecting their territory? Or is it a 24-hour period, including a night and a day? Well, it sounds like a Greek term to me. So if you're playing the same trick you did with Australia, that would be the first one. But you might be playing a different (laughs) trick, for all I know. Ah, yes. Let's see. So we've got grass clippings, insect avoidance, and a day and a night. It's a good word. Martha, you can jump in here and help her out. You've got the classics training here. Well, yeah. you're right about about the the Greek. And if you've been to Greece, you know that in the morning people say kalimera. Oh. Good morning. Does that morning. mean good morning? Or? Yeah. Well, then that sounds like... Sounds like the last half of that word, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, actually. What about so, the first part? What does that sound like? Nick And Nick, Nick could be night. Mm-hmm. So we could be looking at a night and a day. Mm-hmm. So let's go with the third one, how about? Bing, 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 bing. That is exactly right. <laughs> hey, all um, right. I, you know, I always rather that the callers get these correct than they can get them wrong. It's exactly right. Well, I'm glad right. you were it's there a... with that, that uh, morning piece there. <laughs> I don't think I'd have picked that one up. Let me spell that again. 
N-Y-C-H-T-H-E-M-E-R-O-N. And nicthemeron is a 24-hour period, including a night and a day. Very It's just a fancy, nice. fancy way of saying a day. Right. And it's a relative of ephemeral. Oh, okay. Here today, gone tomorrow. Sure, sure. Very nice. Well, this was fun, Catherine. How, Catherine how'd you like you it? rocked. Oh, this is great fun. I've, I've learned all kinds of new things. Catherine, you did wonderfully well. And for playing our game today, we're going to send you a brand new book. Excellent. It's Sapphire's Political Dictionary autographed by the author himself, New York Times columnist William Sapphire. Oh, excellent. Good year for that, too. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much for playing with us today, Catherine. It was good fun. Well, thank you. This is great. All right. And if a question about language is puzzling you, give us a call, one eight seven seven W A Y W O R D. That's one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Or you can always email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, this is James in Seattle. Hiya, James. How you doing? Oh, very good. Thank you. And, uh, okay, so I had read or heard um, somewhere a long time ago that an S doesn't belong on the end of a word like toward or backward. But I often hear someone say, move towards the back of the bus or take three steps backwards. Mm-hmm. And So I was uh, curious uh, what the ruling is on that, and uh, partially because I was listening to a show the other night, and... One of my two favorite hosts used the word towards. Towards? Yeah. Really? Hmm. What, show, what show was that? <laughs> it happened to be one of you two. Oh, my goodness. Really? Uh, inev- inevitably, it would be me because I'm the one that constantly mispronounces things and gets it wrong, right? Come on, spell Well, I, I couldn't say that, but I thought, well, you know, was that a slip of the tongue or was it, is it okay to put the S on the end? I didn't you know, but the thing ah, is, it, it's, that, it's those keen observations about the speech of other people that lead us down interesting paths in language. Right? Yes. Absolutely. So, James, you were taught that the traditional rule is that that it's toward and forward, right? Right. And I'd read, it was, except for the British usage, they use the S. Right. You might say towards the back of a double-decker bus if you're in, right. if you're in London, right. right? Yeah. James, you're right. In this country, generally speaking, your best bet is to avoid the S. You wouldn't say, um, you know, pioneers... Uh, heading in the direction of California would say, westwards, ho, right? That's how I remember it. But um, there are a few exceptions with the word backward. But like forward uh, and toward, that's all without the F. Correct. From what I can see, a member of my style guides, these rules aren't the kind of rules that even the most conservative style mavens tend to get really peevish about, Right. So right. The, the, using the toward or towards or forward or forwards or backward or backwards, they tend not to see this as like the worst thing that you could ever say. What's really interesting about this particular case of whether or not to use forward or forwards or toward or towards is that um, the rules are really easy to follow in print and a little more lax out loud. The kind of thing that you can say verbally is, is going to be less offensive to people, and most people won't even notice that you said the S form and won't have a problem with it. And it's not the kind of thing that, you're, that you should be excoriated for if you do say it. <laughs> Unless um, you have ears like yours, James. <laughs> well, yeah, it's kind of funny because I noticed in print you rarely see the S, but right. almost everybody puts the S on the end speaking. Well, right. I think you've raised a good point. I mean, traditionally in print, the rule that you described is correct, no S. But, as Grant was saying, it's a lot harder to do that when you're running your mouth. Right, right. <laughs> well, thank you very much for uh, straightening me out on this. Uh, no, you, you were already straightened out. You were, all, you were 100%. <laughs> you're, you're part of the club, buddy. <laughs> all right, well, carry on. I love your show. All, all right, right and we will, <laughs> we will send you your Nerd Club of the Air t-shirt right away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I'll wear it proudly. All right. <laughs> Glad you. to hear it. Bye-bye, James. Right. Bye-bye. If you've got a question about grammar, language, usage, what's right and what's wrong, we'll help you sort it out. The number to call is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. That's one eight seven seven W A Y W O R D. Or go toward your computer and email us at words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Rachel from San Francisco. Hi, Rachel. Hello, Rachel. Hi, Martha and Grant. Well, what's up, Rachel? Uh, well, my, I have a question for you. I was born and raised in western North Dakota, uh, and a phrase I often heard while growing up was, it's a horse apiece, uh, which meant it doesn't make a difference or it's the same either way. Um, a lot of times you would hear it in answer to questions regarding driving directions, like should I take the highway or should I take the interstate? Um 
So when I went to college in eastern North Dakota, I would sometimes use the phrase, and it was like I was speaking a foreign language. Uh, so I was just wondering where it came from, um, and is the usage restricted to western North Dakota? Huh. So the phrase is, it's a horse apiece, and it sort of means the same thing as six of one, half a dozen of the other? <laughs> exactly. That's what they would often tell me, all my Minnesota friends, but I'm sort of loath to take advice from people that think uh, the goose is a great duck. <laughs> well, that's not quite right, but okay. Uh, so, yeah, so it's six of one, half a dozen the other. Uh, this has actually got a pretty tight little story. This is a newer form of an older expression, which is a horse in the horse, used in almost exactly the same circumstances. Somebody would say, you know, do you want the apples or do you want the oranges? And you'd say, ah, you know, a horse and a horse. They're the same thing. And it comes originally, of course, from horse racing, where you might have horses neck and neck coming up to the wire. So the horse and a horse version of this goes back to the mid-1800s. And the horse apiece version, you know, Martha, I, I don't know of it any newer than, say, the 1980s, but it must be older than that. It feels older, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I know that most of the people that use it growing up were much older. There we go. That's mm-hmm. what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rachel, that's exactly what I would expect it is. I would suspect this one goes back at least to the 20s and 30s, uh, if not earlier than that still. Uh, it's weird that I w- I've never heard of it any earlier than the 80s. So, huh. In so print. is it used across the country or is it? It is. It is. There's a tiny bit of evidence that says it's concentrated in Wisconsin and in the surrounding states, mm-hmm. but there's not enough information in order to draw that conclusion conclusively. So well, how's that for waffling and hedging? <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the, uh, the information. Yeah. Right. So, Rachel, you don't talk that strangely. I'll um, let all those Minnesota folks know that. <laughs> no, I think a horse apiece is fine. And, and, and if I were you, I'd start taking what I call a little of Chamber of Commerce pride in that expression, which is you just tell them that's the way right-talking right folks uh, speak and um, that they need to catch up, that they're behind. So, <laughs> Right? Okay. Yes. Well, Rachel, thanks for your call. Thank you. All, all right. right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, if you have a question about language, call us. The number is 1-877-929-9673 or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Doug calling from San Diego. What prompted you to take time out of your busy day to give us a call? Well, I wanted to know why the prefix UN works so very differently in, for example, two different words, undone and unmarried. If something has been undone, that means it was done to begin with and now has been undone. Mm -hmm. If someone is not married, we say they are unmarried, but not because they were married, but they had their marriage undone uh, or reversed. They have not had an annulment or a divorce necessarily, but they are merely not married at this time. So I was wondering why the prefix UN, un, um, seems you know works for both of those, and it doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, a marriage that has been well undone. Well, let me ask you: Are you sure that undone and unmarried always mean the things that you you've just said? Does unmarried always mean that somebody has never been married? No, no. I I, I assume I take unmarried to mean they someone who's simply not married at this time. You right. are, which, which to me means that we could just say they are not married. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean someone who's never been married, just someone right. who is not currently married. Right. But putting the prefix in front of it, the way you do with undone, I, with, with the word undone, it, it means that something that has, was done has now been, well, undone. That's all the word for it, so I have to repeat that word. But couldn't you say that something like the chores around the house go undone unless I do them? Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Two things, because you're so close to answering your own question. You're just a a hair away from it. (laughs) One is that un has a meaning, as a morpheme, as we call it in linguistics. A morpheme is a, a unit of language that has a meaning but can't really function as a word on its own. In this case, un is kind of a negation or reversal of whatever it's attached to. So unattached to done or unattached to married, right? Right. And so what it does, it kind of either negates it, turns it negative, or it kind of reverses the meaning. But the thing is, 
it really is heavily dependent upon two other things, the meaning of the root that it attaches to and the meaning of the sentence as a whole, which is why I gave you that other possibility, the other way to use undone that might mean something slightly different. So what you're going to find here is that un isn't always exactly the same thing in every word that, that, that it's a part of. Right. And so this is where we run into variability of language. And you'll find that a lot of the prefixes uh, like dis, D-I-S, will work that way. You know what? I was going to ask you if Grant has helped you unravel this question, <laughs> but but woo, what do you do with unravel? Because to ravel a sweater means that it unravels. <laughs> well, that's oh, like oh, my head hurts. <laughs> hey, to ravel to, to ravel is to perform the function that we would call also refer to as unraveling. Right, mm-hmm. right. To separate really? the fibers or the threads. Oh man. <laughs> well, th- I, that seems to me to open the door to things like irregardless, and I, I cringe even to say that word. Well, another place Let's that we run into something that like that door. is uh, some people will describe a, a full box, a box that still has all of its things in it, as yeah. an unpacked box. Whereas if it was also empty, you could also call it an unpacked box. An unpacked box, yeah. I, I, well, that that I would draw the line there. I'm not, yeah. not because I think it's not correct, but because I would myself never say that. Yeah, it's an interesting paradox, and some, one of the things when you think about it too closely, it kind of evaporates under your under your under your vision. So, oh, Doug. Well, what are you going to think <laughs> about now? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, wh- whatever it is, when I think of it, I will be contacting you. <laughs> All, All right. right. Thank you so much, Doug. Bye bye. Thank bye-bye. you so much. Bye now. Well, bad spellers of the world, untie. Give us a call at 1-877-929-9673. Or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. That's our show. You can always call and leave us a message during the week. The number is 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-929-WORD. Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. You can also stop by our discussion forum at waywardradio.org. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Tim Felton is our technical director and editor. We've had production help this week from Dana Polakowski and Michael Bagdasian. Away With Words is produced at Studio West in San Diego. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett, inviting you to join us next time. That's right here on Away With Words. You like potato and I like potato.